International travelers returning to Canada amid the COVID-19 pandemic now face a mandatory 72-hour quarantine in designated hotels and a potentially longer stay at a government isolation facility. They're not allowed to leave, they can't order food, and they're paying out of pocket. For some, this is even seen as a violation of civil liberties. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. The National Post's Tyler Dawson joins me to discuss what these centres are like, why there's so much secrecy around them, and why people are concerned about the isolation process. Don't forget you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favourite podcasts. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tyler, for Canadians who leave the country amid this pandemic, there are some new rules in place for when they come home. What do they have to do when they come back to Canada? Yeah, it's a little bit of a confusing setup, but the, the gist of it is they need an approved test to get on a plane. They come back to Canada upon arrival. They then need to go to a government-approved hotel for a three-day stay. At that point, they'll do further COVID-19 testing and basically be held in their rooms for a few days. And then after that, they can either go home to complete their the rest of their quarantine plan, as, as everyone's had to do over the course of the pandemic, but if that plan isn't good enough, if, for example, they live with an elderly family member, for example, they might be transferred to a, a different site, a designated quarantine site, and spend the remainder of their isolation time there. Wow. And are people paying out of pocket for this? Like, I, I keep hearing this report of $2,000. Is that the cost for a three-day hotel stay, or is that the cost for the full 14-day quarantine? I believe that is the sort of high-end cost of the three-day stay. Okay. So they do need to pay for that. The 14-day stay, if they don't have a suitable alternative quarantine plan, that is covered by the government. So people just have to stay in these kind of COVID isolation hotels in various international hubs in Canada for three days, and then they can go home so long as they have appropriate plan, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So- over the last couple of weeks, as people have been taken to these hotels, there's been a lot of criticism of these stays. I've seen terms like detention. I've seen terms like isolation centers. I've seen people making links between them and internment camps, like some pretty heated rhetoric about these places. But what are they like? What do they look like inside? How are they appointed? Is it like a normal hotel stay or is it a little different? I would say it's it's a little different than a normal hotel stay. Uh, certainly, you're not popping down to the hot tub in the evening to relax. But most of these hotels are sort of airport-adjacent hotels, so far as we know. Mm-hmm. The rooms are, you know, your standard sort of hotel room. And people are sort of confined to their rooms for as much of the day as possible. There seems to be a little bit of time to go out and get some fresh air, although the government has been um, quite secretive in terms of answering, you know, some of the more specific questions, like whether or not someone can pop out for a cigarette break or something like that. But some of the photos that we've seen of them, you know, sort of show plastic on the walls and on the floor and food is sort of dropped off outside the room and and things like that. So, you know, they're normal hotels, but uh, some of the photos are, are pretty dystopian looking, like something out of a, a sci-fi or horror movie, that's for sure. Yeah, one of the things that I was reminded of when I was looking at these pictures is the movie E.T., when they have all the plastic around at the house where 
E.T. is, and I don't know. It's traumatic memories from when I was <laughs> it's a, a kid. a little bit before so, my time, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, I mean, you, you say that, like, they're provided with food as part of, like, the having to pay for their stay. What are they getting in terms of food, or what are people saying about the level of service or the level of quality of care they're getting from the government in this case? Yeah, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. There's some people who've said it, you know, hasn't really been that bad. The food's been all right. It's sort of like, you know, standard hotel airport food. And then other people saying, you know, it's small portions and it's kind of gross and things like that. So I suppose there's a little bit of a, you know, the food is in the eye of, eye of the beholder. Um, <laughs> there are sort of daily visits from healthcare workers just to make sure that, you know, everything is fine to check temperatures and things like that. I did speak to one fellow who spent a full 14 days in quarantine who had an infected toenail and ended up having to go to the hospital for that. And, hmm. and he had some complaints about the responsiveness of the government officials uh, operating the hotel. So, you know, a little bit of a variety of, of experience, it seems. Do we know how many people have wound up in these hotels? I know that as of February 22nd, it's mandatory that they go into it, correct? Yeah, that's right. So the, the three days are mandatory for everyone returning to the country by air. The rules are a little bit different for people driving across the border. In terms of the 14-day designated quarantine sites, those are the ones operated by the federal government. Now, the three-day hotels are, are still sort of privately operated. They just had to be approved by the government. Mm -hmm. But in those 14-day sites, there's been about 5,000 people who've spent time in those since the start of the pandemic. In stories that I've seen that have been critical of these sites, you hear about people who are put in a van and they can't see out the window. Mm -hmm. And they, they're not told where they're going or their family shows up at the airport to pick them up. But then all of a sudden their relative is, is being whisked away in a government van. Mm -hmm. It all sounds very, as you mentioned earlier, dystopian. Like it, it seems like a bad spy movie. Like these <laughs> people are being taken hostage. They ask the government where they're going. They're not told. They're not told how long they'll have to stay there. Why is there so much secrecy around these sites? Why is the government acting like these are CIA black sites? Or are people exaggerating the extent to which the government is being secretive of them? I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, on the government secrecy side, I think that governments in general and the federal government in particular, you know, is just sort of instinctually super secretive for no real reason. And I think that's definitely the case here. Like the terms that you mentioned in the beginning, detention sites and things like that. I mean, they could dispel this misinformation right out the gate if they had given better and more robust explanations of what was going on. But no doubt there have been people who have came back and were surprised to find out they had to spend time in these sites. Their family members were confused. I mean, obviously, people can open up their phone and, and look at the Google Maps app to find out where they are. Um, <laughs> the government has said they're, they're keeping the locations of the 14-day sites private just for privacy reasons of the people who are in them, presumably in part, you know, to avoid protesters descending on these hotels. But the the three-day sites, you know, the, you have to book online through a government form and stuff like that. So you do know where those ones are. Okay. And they will be in sort of the only four cities where international flights are coming in. I think Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. Mm -hmm. So a little bit less secrecy about that. But still, I mean, the government has not answered a lot of the, you know, very basic, very simple questions about what <laughs> what they're like. So, you know, it's, it's not totally surprising. I don't think that rumors and, and fear-based messaging and stuff like that has sort of filled some of the void left behind here. There are people who are raising concerns about 
the idea that this goes against kind of basic civil liberties. Obviously, we're dealing with a global pandemic, and the government has powers to enact various measures under public health emergencies. And they could go to a full-on lockdown if they really wanted to. But what are experts saying when it comes to the idea that these restrictive measures on international travelers, when it comes to the violation of fundamental civil liberties? As with, I think, lots of the stuff that's happened during the pandemic, these are obviously violations of charter rights to some extent. The, the question, of course, is whether or not these are justifiable violations of charter rights. Like, mm-hmm. I think people often, you know, sort of mischaracterize charter rights as completely inviolable. And that's just not really the way it works, for better or worse. So yeah, there are people saying that this is violation of charter rights to to travel and move around the country freely. And then on the other side of it, people are saying that, look, this is sort of the, the responsibility of Canadians to keep each other safe. Just talking with friends and things like that, I think the, uh, the conception uh, out there is that there's not a whole lot of sympathy for snowbirds and people who are traveling and then who've gone out of the country when we've been told not to go out of the country, who can afford to go out of the country when people are losing their jobs. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think there's the principled issues at stake here, perhaps, but also on, on the other side of it, I think people are just, you know, not super sympathetic to those who uh, end up having to spend some time in a hotel. Yeah, for sure. Now, for... People who are able to go home, if they have an appropriate isolation plan for when they go home, mm-hmm. are they followed by government security? Is there like a plan to kind of keep tabs on them? What happens to those people once they go home? Yeah, this is another place in this sort of tale where it's a little bit confusing. The government has said that they've contracted, I think, with four or five private security companies that are going to check in on these people to make sure they are following their isolation plans. But then on the flip side of that, when the government, you know, did their sort of full briefing and released all their information on this, they didn't really seem to mention that. So my assumption slash impression, and, you know, someone's being paid to do this, whether or not that has fully come into effect, whether or not people have had these visits, that's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit less clear, unfortunately. But but yes, the idea is that there are people keeping tabs on those who then go home to isolate. Now, one of the things that I noticed this morning that I found interesting, I saw online an article that people are arriving in Canada and they're just kind of like trying to avoid or skirt these federal health officials and leave the airport and just go home without going to these sites. Have you heard of people doing that? Or if not, is there a penalty for those who violate these conditions? There have been people who've showed up with sort of fraudulent testing, it seems, and they've been fined. $5,000 is the number that sticks in my mind. As for like avoiding them, I don't. I almost don't know how you would. I mean, your trip through an airport is pretty regimented. And it, it sounds like from the people I talked to that, you know, there's a station where you fill out your quarantine plan information, you know, sort of like the automated passport scanners that uh, are in some airports now. And then you, you know, you have to go to a border official and things like that. So it it doesn't seem likely to me that you would actually be able to skirt this stuff, whether or not people want to or not. How long are these programs expected to be in place for? I don't believe the government put a sunset date on it. Not that I I can think of off the top of my head here. Um, Yeah, presumably they're going to be in place for as long as necessary. I think the other question is maybe why now? Why is it taken until you know, winter 2021, a year into the pandemic to come up with this sort of isolation 
scenario and I, I don't know what the answer to that is this seems like you know whether it's a good idea or not it seems like the sort of thing that maybe should have happened months and months and months ago but maybe they are you know sort of gearing up for the return of snowbirds and things like that so that that might explain the timing a little bit but um certainly my impression is that this will go on you know sort of as long as necessary why didn't they bring this in sooner when Justin Trudeau brought in these restrictions, was there any indication as to why they waited so long to do this kind of harsh crackdown on people coming back into the country to help stop the spread of the virus? Yeah, there hasn't really been much explanation of that. Um, you know, travel-related cases are fairly low at this point in the pandemic. I certainly think there's a couple of factors at play here. The first being the presence of, of variants and you know, obviously preventing the variants from getting into Canada. Not that that's uh, really succeeded, but perhaps preventing more cases from getting into Canada is part of the impetus here. I, I also think that there's probably the political side of this, which is that the government is, you know, sort of waiting on vaccine deliveries. There's been a lot of discussion about whether or not they've um, successfully procured vaccines for Canadians. So I, I do think there's the political imperative of needing to do something that looks like they're doing something, that they're taking further steps and things like that, just um, not to distract so much from the vaccine thing, but to to point out to Canadians that, look, the vaccines are coming. In the meantime, we're doing you know this, that, and the other thing. So I think those are probably two of the factors in play here. And as I mentioned earlier, that you know we are coming up on, you know, in the next six or eight weeks on the, you know, sort of slow return to snowbirds into the country. Well, I guess we'll see how far the government takes these measures and, and how long they're in place for. Tyler, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Tyler Dawson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>